0: Welcome to Russian History Retold, episode number 201, Ivan Grozny, the first Tsar of Russia. Last time, I looked back at my 10 plus years as a Russian history podcaster. Today, I resume our march back in time, reviewing the rulers of Russia who molded the country that would be my and many of my listeners' original homeland. Our topic is one of the most notorious and misunderstood of all of the Russian rulers, the first Tsar of Russia, the man the West calls Ivan the Terrible, who more accurately should be called Ivan Grozny. I begin my look back at the life and times of Ivan IV, and I started this back in episode number 14, ending it in episode 21, almost 10 years ago. It was an extensive review of the material I had at the time. Since then, I've uncovered many new ways of looking at Ivan, especially trying to understand the man within the context of his times. Starting with this episode, I will begin to share my sources of information that help me present the evidence to you. I'm using works from my library, the first being Medieval Russia 980-1584 to 1584 by Janet Martin. Next is Ivan the Terrible by Robert Payne and Nikita Romanov, followed by the Domostroy, Rules for Russian Households in the Time of Ivan the Terrible, edited and translated by Carolyn Johnston, Pouncey, and finally, Russians, the People Behind the Power by Gregory Pfeiffer. Before I dive into my review of Ivan, I'd like to pose some words of caution about Russian history from this point backwards. They say that history is written by the victors, and while that is true, there is more to the so-called history or story than that. History is also written, especially history written in the medieval and ancient world, to benefit the people in power at the time of the production of the documents. You will see some examples of this in today's episode. The flip side of this is to be careful that rewriting history has its pratfalls as well. We, as historians, have to be aware that we may fall into the trap of looking at the past through the glasses of today's world, and not that of the time where the events took place, where the people lived. I hope that I've steered clear of this issue, and if I haven't, my apologies. Furthermore, if anyone has any problems with anything I talk about today, please make your feelings known on our still-growing Facebook page at Russian Rulers History. So now... On to the first Tsar. Ivan Vasilievich was born on August 25, 1530 as the son of the Grand Prince of Moscow, Vasily III, and his second wife, Elena Glinskaya. The Glinsky clan claimed that they were descendants of both Hungarian nobles and the Mongol military leader, Mamai. If you remember your Russian history, Mamai was the Khan who opposed the great Russian legend Dmitry Donskoy at the Battle of Kulakova on September 8, 1380. This clash was to mark the beginning of the end for the Mongol yoke over the land and the people of the Rus. Ivan had a rough beginning to life, as his father died when he was a mere three years old. His mother was to serve as his regent until he came of age. But She was to die under very suspicious circumstances just five years later. These suspicious deaths, likely due to poisoning, was to become a theme throughout Ivan's life. Not only would he lose his mother to this means of assassination, his wife, as we shall see later, would fall as well. Ivan was eight when he became the proverbial center of a tug-of-war between the numerous boyar families, all trying to get control of the young man. It is here that Ivan's disturbing behavior is said to have begun. But did it? Was Ivan really the torturer of animals, throwing cats and dogs out of the windows of the towers he was kept in? Maybe yes, but equally possible is perhaps not. What we know about Ivan is not from first-hand accounts mostly from those who came years after his reign. It has been generally accepted historical fact that Ivan was a persecuted child, which led him to enact revenge against his tormentors when he came of age in 1546, when he turned 16. But was Ivan really the instigator of the brutal revenge that was exacted against people like Ivan Kubensky and the Vorontsov brothers, Fyodor and Vasily? Or, as is more likely the case, the Glinsky family guided the young man's hands to get rid of some of their rivals. Historians have debated this for years. I'm bringing this to light now, as I feel that sometimes we take the easy way out in history by not questioning the conventional wisdom. Well, and you say we supposedly have the letters between Prince Andrei Kirbsky and Ivan, and I reported that in my episodes 14 through 21. But now I find out, in reality, there may be no real first-hand accounts of his life. And, according to Harvard, the late Harvard Russian history scholar Edward Keenan, those letters were not written by either Kirbsky or Ivan. Instead, they were forged between 1623 and 1625 by Semyon Ivanovich Shakhovoskoy, some 40 years after the Tsar's death. The problem we have with early Russian history, as I've recently become aware of, is the issue of forgeries and outright fictionalization of historical events. One of the more controversial writings is the famous Tale of Igor's Campaigns, Alexander Borodin actually made the poem into an opera, first performed in 1890, known as Prince Igor. According to Keenan, it was not written in the late 12th century, but in the 19th century by Bohemian linguist and scholar Joseph Dobrovsky. While the authenticity question is still debated about this particular piece of old Russian literature, it is essential, as we move back in time, to take this issue into account regarding all of Russian history before the times of Ivan IV. To further muddle the problems with Russian history, we have the Soviet period where some of the original documents were destroyed, some by the Nazis during their invasion, and some by the communist authorities when the history contradicted their view of things. Now, back to our main discussion. What well, we have are stories that came after Ivan was no longer with us from people who had, who had an agenda to push, especially the early Romanovs. A few historians believe that Michael Romanovs' handlers purposely exaggerated Ivan's behaviors to make Michael and then his son Alexei look stronger. They needed to bolster the power of the Tsar as the first two Romanovs were in a very precarious position. This strengthening of the legend of Ivan and how good he was early on in his reign can be linked back to his first wife, Anastasia Romanovna, a member of the Romanov family. What better way to strengthen the claim to the throne than by showing a link to that first czar? On top of that, indicating that a Romanov was able to guide the unstable Ivan to be a good leader doesn't hurt the image either. An outsider, Sir Jerome Horsey, Queen Elizabeth I's envoy to Moscow, who wrote in his memoirs about Anastasia and Ivan IV thus quote, He, being young and riotous, she ruled him with admirable affability and wisdom. A problem with people like Horsey and other foreigners who traveled through Muscovy at the time was their lack of cultural context. The rule And the lands of the Rus were so unusual due to the influence of the Mongol yoke that writers of the time, and most were foreigners, looked at the people as barbarians. They were unable to pick up nuances of the court of Ivan, the backroom machinations that influenced the behavior of their leaders. In reality, we still have that problem today with the way the Western world looks at Russia and its leaders. When Anastasia died on August 7th, 1560, it is said that Ivan went into a deep funk and came out of it a very different and violent man. Some have suggested that Ivan suffered from epilepsy, that it somehow damaged his brain and made him become the violent man he would turn into. While this is distinctly possible, I have another theory, one that is based on some robust evidence. Ivan believed that his beautiful wife was poisoned, and based on the evidence that was uncovered in the late 20th century when her body was exhumed, Ivan was right. They found extraordinary levels of mercury in her bones, far exceeding the levels you would typically find when using the heavy metal medicinally, something fairly common in that day. Many have pointed out that mercury was used in many ways to treat several disorders, in particular infections, so that can explain Anastasia's death. The thought is that people did not realize that Mercury was so toxic as it turns out to be, but I heartily dispute that notion. When I wrote my first book, Achieving Victory Over a Toxic World, I pointed out historical evidence that the ancient Romans were well aware of Mercury's toxicity. They would build large smokestacks outside of their main cities, to guide the toxic fumes away from their population, knowing full well that their metal smelting operations cause birth defects and mental illnesses of those who live too close to the furnaces. For Ivan to now feel threatened and betrayed again, just as he had when he was a child, is not surprising. But let me add in an additional possibility as to why Ivan turned violent after the death of his wife. First off, It may be possible that the Tsar wasn't the only one who was being poisoned with mercury. Maybe, just maybe, he was the real target and Anastasia was collateral damage. In history, we have to be real careful about conjecture. Unless, of course, we have another confirming fact to help us make a guess as to what happened. We actually know something about Ivan that does just that. If you know a little bit about medicine, and in particular, autoimmune disease, we have a form of arthritis known as ankylosing spondylitis. In the 1960s, Soviet scientists dug up Ivan's body and found that he indeed did have this incredibly painful disorder. In my real life, I'm a medical researcher, and one of my specialties is in the effect of environmental toxicity on human health. Mercury is one of the most toxic of the heavy metals, and has been known and shown to trigger autoimmune disorders like ankylosing spondylitis. Also, have you ever heard of the phrase, mad as a hatter? Well, it's based on the use of mercury in the north of England, where men in the area worked in the hattery business, which used the heavy metal mercury in the hat-making process. Could this be the real reason Ivan went mad? Or was it because of the pain and suffering he underwent from the disease? My opinion is that it was both. But you also have to frame it within the political intrigues of medieval Muscovy. According to Gregory Pfeiffer, author of Russian's The People Behind the Power, quote, Foreigners are unlikely to know that Russia has had more weak rulers than strong ones, and that Ivan the Terrible and other ogres in popular Western images were actually far less potent than they seemed. The historical record is important because, despite Russia's reputation as a country ruled by iron-willed despots, it has been more often been governed by a group of oligarchs whose ability to function under relatively flimsy czarist authority became a lasting trait of national political life. Remember, Ivan IV was the first Tsar of Russia. Before his taking that title, the nominal ruler was known as the Veliki Knyaz, or Grand Prince of Moscow, akin to a Grand Duke in Western Europe. Going back to Pfeiffer, Quote, Besides the very important job of producing an heir, the Tsar's main role in medieval Muscovy was as a mediator or alligator, allocator of authority amongst leaders of the ruling clans the most powerful usually being those closest to him. Relationships were based on kinship and power, obtained through engagements and marriages. If we understand this relationship between Tsar or Grand Prince and the Boyar class, who held much of the power, we begin to understand why Ivan decided to unleash the Oprichnina, a process of persecution of the Boyars that he felt was behind his wife's death, his mother's death, and his own health woes. On December 3rd, 1564, Ivan left Moscow for Alexandrova Sloboda. He offered his resignation to the princes because of their embezzlement of the people's money and treason, and for also very intelligent reasons. Now, no one was willing to take the risk of taking the throne as the people and other rival boyars would pounce on any claimant. There was a power vacuum, and Ivan was going to step in and expand his reach. It was a brilliant move on his part. However, I would suspect it was not so popular with his target, the powerful Boyer families of Moscow and other towns in the land of the Rus. There were two initial targets, Prince Alexander Borisovich Shuisky, a hero of the conquest of the Khanate of Kazan in 1547, and Metropolitan Philip II, who was personally chosen by Ivan to his post. Unfortunately for Philip, he rebuked the Tsar publicly at a church service for abuses of the Upper Chnaina, something that would lead to his murder. Now, there is little doubt that the Upper Chnaina caused the death and torture of countless innocent people. It was also a period of abuse of power, Not so much by Ivan, but by the Oprichniki, the men who carried out the orders to ferret out those who were accused of treason and other crimes against the state. In reality, the Tsar, Ivan IV, did nothing terribly different than other more historically illustrious rulers in Asia or Europe around the time of the medieval period. What he lacked were scribes and historians that would write tales of his time and power in a more positive light. It has been said that Ivan committed many terrible crimes by his own hand after the death of his first wife, but ankylosing spondylitis is so debilitating that it is highly unlikely that this was possible. The other myth we can bust today is Ivan's supposed sexual depravities. This is also pretty much not based in reality. Again, due to his disease many faults could be blamed on ivan especially the beginnings of serfdom what cannot be taken away from him is the grand expansion he oversaw especially eastward into siberia the stroganov family was to be the beneficiaries of ivan's expansionary vision the furs that this vast and forbidding land would supply russia was by itself an incredible source of income Within decades, Russia and the brave explorers, many of whom were Cossacks, would reach the Pacific Ocean. Maybe now is the time to drop the sobriquet terrible attached to Ivan's name and instead use the Russian term, Grozny, translating it more accurately as fierce, Ivan the Fearsome. We should also be a bit more understanding of what he had to go through in medieval Russia, suffering through rehabilitating arthritic diseases he likely lived with from the age of about 30 until his death in 1584 at the age of 53. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and episode. Join me next time when I veer off from the road of past rulers and take up a vast topic and the land that it represents, Siberia. I'm not sure whether it will be one or two episodes I will let the research guide me. So now, as always, das vidania i spasiba bolshoya.